Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Justice Delayed From ABC News, around the world and into your home, the stories that touch your life. This is 2020. I was like, Joel. Where is Joel? And then they said that he was dead. We have these true crimes, these murder mysteries on every week. But you know what makes this one different? It was broken wide open by one of our viewers just watching 2020 at home. And that viewer was none other than award-winning crime writer and friend of the podcast, Diane Fanning. Through her work on her first book, Through the Window, Diane was instrumental in getting Julie Ray, an innocent mother, charged, convicted, and sent to prison for the brutal slaying of her 10-year-old son, a new trial, where she was not only found not guilty, but officially declared innocent by the state. And Diane joins us now on Murder Most Foul. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. How are you today, James? Good. So, Diane, before we plunge in, uh, I want to set up a brief chronology for my listeners uh, that we'll flesh out as we proceed. In October of 1997, Julie Ray awoke in the middle of the night to a stranger in her house. She struggled with the man and chased him outside. After he ran off, she went back into the house to check on her 10-year-old son, Joel. At quick glance, she did not see him in his bed. So fearing the intruder might have had an accomplice and Joel had been kidnapped, she enlisted the help of her neighbors in looking for Joel. Sadly, Joel was found between his bed and the wall in his bedroom, butchered with a knife. Ultimately, Julie was convicted of the unthinkable crime and sentenced to a long prison term. In March 2002, you write your first book, which at the time had nothing to do with the Julie Ray case. Why not pick up the narrative here that ultimately landed you on 2020 as a featured guest? I was in the middle of writing my first true crime book, uh, Through the Window. And I was interviewing a serial killer and he had gotten mad at the Texas Rangers who he was giving information to. And um, he stopped talking to him for a really very stupid reason, but that left me as the only person he was talking to. And I had a lot of <clears throat> private eyes, PIs, I mean, uh, police detectives and victims, family members who wanted answers to know uh, if Sells was involved in this crime or that crime. And I, I didn't really want to be in that role, just that I was stuck there because he wouldn't talk to anyone else. And so I was trying to change that 
uh, with him and trying to convince him to start talking to the Rangers again when I sat down to watch an episode of 2020. And it was the case of Julie Ray, who had been convicted of murdering her 10-year-old son. And honestly, James, I started watching that show and I'm just going, oh yeah, right. Everybody says they're not guilty. And everybody's family says that and their attorneys say that. I was just highly skeptical. But then the prosecutor started speaking and the prosecutor started saying things that I knew from my interviews with Sells and my studies of his crime record. I knew there's things the prosecutor was saying weren't true. He said, nobody goes into a house and picks a weapon from your kitchen and harms you with it. Well, Sells had done that multiple times. He'd done it with knives. He's done it with baseball bats. He's done, he just does it a lot. And he famously talked at length with a sheriff in Texas saying that, you know, I could go into any room and find a weapon to kill someone. So this was kind of ridiculous. Then I learned that they said no stranger fingerprints were found, but they didn't dust everywhere for fingerprints. They never dusted that knife block where the knife came from. And there, were, there was a footprint on the floor in blood that did not fit Jolie's foot, did not fit Joel's foot, did not fit any of the people that were first responders. I knew something's wrong here. And, you know, I thought, well, someone like Sells could well have done this. This woman could be innocent. And I, I thought, you know, if something is wrong here, if this is an injustice, I can't just sit on this. I have to do something. So the first thing I did was I tried to use this information to convince Sells to drop his anger at the Texas Rangers because they sometimes said things to him that ticked him off because they got it from district attorneys. And so... I told him about the show. I did not tell him which show. I did not tell him the town. I did not tell him the date. I did not tell him the names of anyone involved. And he fired back at me and says, was this maybe on the 13th, like a couple of days before my murder in Springfield, Missouri? And I looked it up. And yes, Joel was murdered on October 13th, two days before he killed Stephanie Mahaney on October 15th. And I was in shock. And my first response to him was, who told you about this? Because I knew he had no access to TV on death row in Texas. You just don't have it. And he said, nobody told me about it. There's a lot of people in prison for crimes I committed, and I don't care. So the next thing I did was, I called up the producers at 2020. I thought maybe they would know something they couldn't put on the air and maybe they could help me out with trying to figure it out. And they were very uh, excited about what I'd learned. 
but they said the the prosecution will just throw it in the trash if you give it to him them they they will not take it seriously you just don't have enough so i arranged for the trip uh, a drive two and a half hours to death row again and i went there and i talked to him and i got a little more detail about the neighborhood and the house and things like that and um i thought you know this is crazy but i went back and i decided that the only thing i could do is put this in my book with the hope and prayer that someone else who knew more than I did, I mean, this is my first true crime book, would be able to take that information and run with it. And sure enough, when the book came out, uh, a private investigator for the Innocence Project in downstate Illinois followed up on my information and went up to the town where Joel was murdered very small town of like 1500 at the time, I think. And he ran into two different people who had seen someone like cells looking very much like cells. And they had gone to the police, told them about it. And the police said, we'll send somebody by your house to get a full report. But nobody ever came. Why don't we stop here and fill in the audience um, as to the details of that horrific night that Joel was killed? Jolie Ray woke up in the middle of the night and she, she heard her son screaming. And she jumped out of bed and went running down the hall. When she got to the doorway of her son's room, she collided with a man. The man had a knife, which he dropped. She looked into Joel's room and saw no sign of Joel. Her first thought is someone's kidnapped him and this is one of the two people involved in it. So she tangles with this man who does injure her even though he's dropped his knife and um, she chases them into the backyard she trips over something. He bashes her in the head. She's um, in shock. She's been taking a head injury. She's not really functioning super well. She runs to a neighbor's house. Joel is missing. I need help. And she uh, wants help finding her son. Well, when the police come, they do find her son. He was between the bed and the wall, and he had been stabbed repeatedly, stabbed so many times that they could guess 13 times, but some of them were overlapping, so it was hard to tell. And at that point, the cops were convinced of her guilt, even though she went through three lie detector tests and passed. Her ex-husband, who was a very bitter man and was also a police person, told the other police that she did it. I know she did it. It happened on the 13th. There were 13 stab wounds. She's got a thing for 13. 
which there's nothing else to back that up other than this man's word. But when it's all said and done, law enforcement goes to the district attorney at that time wanting to charge her. And he says, there's nothing here. There's not enough here. There really isn't. So Julie, who was a graduate student at that time, after a little period of grieving, returned to school with this suspicion hanging over her head. And it was about two years later when another prosecutor got involved in the case that charges were brought against her and she was arrested for her son's murder. Now, Julie, as a graduate student, obviously didn't have money rolling around in her pocket. Her parents were retired missionaries and <laughs> they didn't have money rolling around. So she ended up with a, 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 a public defender and there's not a public defender department. It's just somebody assigned by the judge. And he didn't have any experience in this kind of case. He, by his own admission, was in over his head. He didn't know some of the things that he needed to question when they were put on the floor by the, the prosecutor. Things like, we found no stranger fingerprints in the house. Well, for one, a lot of savvy killers like Cells knew how to make sure there were no fingerprints left behind. For another, they did a lousy job of looking for fingerprints. And they had taken apart every pipe in that house that water flowed out of and found no blood. Julie would have been covered in blood if she killed her son. And there was nothing there, no evidence except some transfer stain on her shirt. So um, when it came down to it, she wanted to testify. Her attorney said, no, you won't be good on the stand. And I can see why. Julie um, doesn't present as a warm and caring person, even though she really is a warm and caring person. So I understand why he didn't want her up there. But in the end, she was found guilty and sentenced to 65 years in prison. I Put yourself in the shoes of Julie Ray. She knew she did not kill her son. She knew there was an intruder in her house. And here is the 10-year-old boy that she absolutely adores. And she's accused and suspected of murdering him. What is she supposed to feel like? As a mother, I know I would be losing a child to violence is a horrible enough thing. But then to have the finger of guilt pointed at you on top of that, to have to struggle to show that you didn't do it, is a living nightmare. Now, I know from watching enough uh, crime shows and Law and Order that you don't need to prove motive. 
for the prosecution to prove its case. But did they, um, you know, the jury usually is looking for that. Did the prosecution present any um, reasonable reason why she would have killed her son? No, the prosecution said she her motive was that if she couldn't have custody of him, no one would. Um, but I will tell you what Sells told me. He said he ran into her at a convenience store and she was rude to him. And he did not want her son growing up to be like her. And that was the kind of reasoning he had for a lot of his murders. So it made sense to me from his viewpoint. Julie doesn't remember this incident, but I know Sells and I know one of his things would be to open up the door to a store and say, hello, pretty lady. And nine out of 10 women are going to ignore that. And Julie would have for sure. And uh, if anything, maybe mutter to thank you, but maybe not even that uh, coming from the scruffy looking thing that was holding the door. And she didn't remember it. It was, it, it was insignificant to her, but Sells remembered it. He held a grudge like you wouldn't believe. He'd hold off and murder. That is what he did. There was one guy called him a punk in the middle of the day. And he waited till that night, till the middle of the night, found that guy who was homeless, sleeping outside, snuck up to him and slit his throat. Now, so I don't think, again, I'm not picking on the 2020 episode, but it is long and sometimes a little rambling. Um, I had no idea just from looking at it once that he I thought this was a random attack. So he knew the I mean, he knew the how he knew where she lived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you look at some of his other murders and and he gets irritated by something someone did and he'll go and he'll sit somewhere where he can't be seen and chain smoke waiting for it to be the right hour. Three, four o'clock in the morning is like the best time for me. That's when he likes to act. And he sits there stewing and steaming and stewing and steaming. And um, the excuse he made up for murdering that whole family was that uh, the father of the family had made a uh, homosexual advance on him. Well, Sells saw homosexual advances everywhere, quite frankly. He was extremely homophobic, which may say something about the internal conflict he was having. Who knows? But he... uh, he really uh, just saw it everywhere. You know, man is nice to him. Therefore, that man's making an advance. That was how his mind operated. Um, there was another case where he blamed the neighborhood because there was an overgrown area near the playground. And that gave him the opportunity to push that little girl off the swing and carry her into some place where he could be hidden. So it was the community's fault, not his. He always had something. Well, Tommy, why did you kill that little four-year-old boy? He couldn't have testified against you. Well, after killing his mother, he says, I didn't want him to grow up to be an orphan. I mean, he, he was unbelievably skilled at coming up at these bizarre reasons to kill. I don't think they were necessarily his real reasons. I think there was more randomness to his crimes It's just someone caught his attention and then later on he rationalized it. So I do think in many ways it was kind of random. 
but it was random, not at the house, but at the convenience store. And then he followed to where she went. Uh, writing the book and the book coming out. And we eventually, we do catch the attention of the, um, uh, have it right here. Indiana the Innocence Project. In the, I'm sorry, the Innocence yeah. Project, which has one. We have some one here in Rhode Island that's really good. Um, so they have chapters uh, all mm -hmm. over. And this was and, the Southwest uh, Illinois chapter. And again, this gentleman is is featured in the 2020 Bill uh, Clutter, mm -hmm. who was mm -hmm. the investigator. So, um, so take us through. Did did that become independent, or did you make some contact aside from the producers and the publishing of the book? Or were they just, were they? No, I, 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 um, the, I talked to the Texas Rangers and explained how I learned what I learned. And they found it highly likely that uh, this was Sells crime. Because Sells had a bizarre way of thinking. And like, if someone told him a story about a crime, he could tell you that story back exactly as it was told to him. But if he was telling a story he lived through, it would come in bits and pieces. And that's how this all came to me. They found it very credible that Sells could have been responsible for that crime. So then there was a, um, a parole board that I went up to Chicago and I testified on Julie's behalf and got insulted by the prosecutor. But, you know, that's what they do, <laughs> you know. Uh, so um, then uh, the North... Northwestern University Center for Wrongful Convictions picked up the case. That that is got the ball really rolling. That that by the way, I don't know if it's the same one. You can probably tell me if it's not. The prosecutor that's that's featured in 2020 did not come off very well at all. He refused to consider the possibility that he made a mistake, and a lot of people find that very offensive. And uh, he um, not only was she acquitted. And when she was acquitted, he wasn't even in the courtroom. He left because he thought that's the way it was going to go and he didn't want to sit there for it. So he, she was acquitted. And not only that, James, she went through a very arduous process to get a certificate of actual innocence from the state of Illinois, which basically meant this wipes the slate. It's as if this charge had never happened she should not have ever been charged and um and still since that he won't give it up he just won't acknowledge it and this has given julie a lot of pain because what she has wanted all along is justice for joel and and unless the the people that matter will accept her innocence as a fact, they're not going to pursue anyone else. And there was great hopes that they would, particularly before Tommy Lynn Sells was executed. But now he's gone and nobody will make a case now. There, there um, will be no justice for Joel, except for the fact that his mother was released and declared innocent.
Now, which is is something, again, that doesn't bring her son back. Now, um, this again was mentioned just on the fly in the 2020 that what brought her to a new trial um, was not, I guess, technically all this stuff. They said she was granted a new trial on a technicality, but it didn't explain that. Do you know what that was? I know that the judge, the appeals court judge, said that he had been given a copy of my book. And he had read my book. And he said, do not submit this evidence at this stage. I'm going to give you a new trial on technical grounds, but don't submit this now because at the new trial, you will need it as new evidence. So the judge advised them on what to do and how to handle this. And that's why it was a technicality. Which is great. I mean, here's a judge, a judge, same thing. A judge is supposed to be neutral. And if the judge looking at what's going on decides she deserves a new trial and then let a, a new jury decide, you know, I'm, I don't decide that. But I think this is important for for justice. And so he did that with the one thing he did um, extract from my trial, I mean, for my book and force the pro prosecutor's hands was I re I reported in that book about a hair found in Joel's hand that no one had ever done forensics on. Now, it turned out that it couldn't be matched to Julie. It couldn't be matched to cells. It couldn't be, because uh, hairs are like that to fly everywhere. But that prosecutor never tested that hair. And the judge was furious about that and ordered him to do it. Great. Now, um, another thing not covered in the 2020, which I'm sure you probably have an answer and they may have, or maybe they did it and I missed it. You already explained, uh, and it is uh, in, the, in the book and uh, more in the book than the, the story that the, yes, the, the parents of Joel were estranged. They were divorced and estranged. And there, there was a custody, a, a physical custody. They both obviously had a shared uh, visitation and, and obviously the boy was with her when he was killed um, with his mom. But um, and they show some and I, I feel bad for him. I mean, he didn't do anything. The, the father and his son is gone um, and they show him at the grave, grave uh, site at the end. I'm assuming he thinks she's guilty. He does think she's guilty. And um, I was really irritated by how he was presented so much as a victim, because this is a man who called my office repeatedly when I wasn't there, um, a questioned my uh, assistant on how she could work for someone like me and um, accused me of plotting with Julie's parents to write this book for the sole purpose of getting Julie out of prison. I never heard of her till, what was it? It was nine months, no, 10 months after I had signed a contract to write this book. So it was like, you know, somehow he's, he's uh, creating this conspiracy about me and he's refusing to leave a message when he calls over and over again. Finally, one time he, I, he reached me and he basically just told me off and I hung up. You know, it was... Uh, he was as rigid as the prosecutor. I mean, he was not 
um, the nice man they portrayed on 2020. Since or during all this, you met Julie. Uh, yes, yes. I even spent an evening in her home. Look at that. Yes, nice. Susan. Sat down I, drinking tea and talking. Good. How's she doing? Well, it's been a rough road for her. Uh, she, uh, from some of the treatment she got from fellow prisoners in jail that included a, a blunt trauma to her head, um, she, she is suffering PTSD. And um, that has made it difficult for her to go forward. She also, uh, I think there was some brain damage because she chose to go with a second master's degree rather than continuing to pursue a PhD because she couldn't concentrate enough. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's been really rough. And um, I, I think it would make her feel a whole lot better if um, the state had pursued justice for Joel after she was declared innocent, but they did not. The 2020 episode was uh, just fantastic. I mean, showing uh, the, you know, bits and pieces from the original, you know, one several years ago um, where they interviewed um, uh, Julie Ray after her uh, conviction. And then we fast forward and this still involves uh, slightly aging, uh, a little bit gray around the temples, uh, John Miller and uh, Lynn Shear who now pick up the story and, of course, in include you. And uh, Lynn Shearer goes back to the prison and is interviewing um, Tommy Lynn Sells. What, what was going through your mind when you were you know, watching uh, all this happen that you lived through? Well, I'll tell you, James, um, for a long time, I, I felt my writing had kept me from a lot of the monsters that wanted to float in my head. And um, it was very unsettling to have someone I knew executed. But when I watched that show and saw Lynn Shear come face to face with him walking down the same hall that I walked down and going to, I was very, very distressed. I was in an emotional upheaval. It was like, yeah, it was like a reenactment with another body. But, you know, it was like it, it was it really distressed me. Uh, just seeing her go through that, go through my experience. And, um, you know, I suppressed a lot of that, I imagine. But I interviewed her more than 20 times. And uh, there's a residue. The other thing is that the day I did that interview, uh, we did more extensive interviews about other crimes by cells. And the plan is there's going to be another episode about cells. I don't have an air date, but that that that's supposed to be coming. Well, that's why the things you've told me now, and I know if you look, you know, if you go to Wikipedia, you'll find it. And I just thought that's not tangential. It's important. But the the crimes, I mean, he's got a list of this person did that. The things you're the, the killing a family and killing the homeless, those details aren't in 2020, just these on death row for some murders. But he was a bigger monster than I thought he was. I mean, we're all looking at okay, killed a little boy. Well, yeah, but then they show in the in the video, they show him younger, I guess when he's being charged with some of the other crimes, and he's in the bedroom. It looks like he's drugged out, but he's coming from prison. But anyways, he's doing he does the motion of how he slit the throat of a little girl or a little boy mm -hmm. on the bunk, top bunk of a bed. So that's a little indication, okay, they just dropped that little thing in there, that this guy not only is a murderer, there's a lot of them, but a brutal, cruel, vicious, 
unthinking. Psychopath. Okay, if you got to throw around those terms, go ahead. <laughs> he was a psychopath. Mm -hmm. um, wow, this has been, and I knew it would be, a fascinating. And I'm glad, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any doubts, Diane Fanning didn't go anywhere. She's never gone anywhere, and I hope she doesn't for a long time. Um, are you, uh, I also think it's fascinating. I didn't know that this was your first book. That's fascinating. Yeah. On, yeah. On, uh, through a, what is it? In a window? Through, through a, the window. Through the window. Um, and I can ask, you don't have to tell me, what are you working on now? They show you typing and do all that stuff. We call it B-roll. Yes. They may have told yes, you. Yes, yes. And so you're, okay, watch the computer. I am working on. Okay, now reach for the phone. Okay. I am working on a historical fiction piece about a crime. Great. So, my listeners, if you'd like um, more exciting reading material, you can get it at uh, Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Amazon. Also, if you'd like to visit uh, Diane's website, it's Diane Fanning, F-A-N-N-I-N-G, dot com, and where you can Leave her an email or uh, just look over her uh, her items for sale, etc. Also, I do uh, recommend um, the 2020 episode, which is now up on uh, uh, the uh, ABC 2020, uh, their website, and probably on YouTube as well. It's um, um, entitled Good Night, Mother. It's worth watching. Unfortunately, you've got to go through the commercials <laughs> as you're watching it, but it's still okay. So, um, again, uh, I'd like to thank Diane for joining us today on Murder Most Foul. And uh, I hope we get to do this again real soon. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. My first Murder Most Foul 2020 crossover episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please tell your friends. All Murder Most Foul episodes can be found on all the popular platforms. The show's website is under reconstruction right now, so if you'd like to leave me a comment, the email address is James Solonowski, which is my name, J-A-M-E-S-S-U-L-A-N-O-W-S-K-I, at gmail.com. Well, as we plunge into 2022, my wishes to you for a safe and happy new year. And for God's sake... Don't murder anyone.